Welcome to the Physician Associate Podcast. Hello, welcome to this episode of the Physician Associate Podcast. I'm delighted today to be joined by Molly Jones, who's a PA in ENT. Welcome to the show, Molly. Thank you so much for having me. PA in ENT, so many acronyms. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about you, life before you went to PA school and, and what interested you in going into PA school? Yeah, well, while working in a, um, oh, how shall I say this? Um, a well-known high street uh, store that pierces ears. I was trying to decide what I was doing with my life. Yeah, to finishing my master's and trying to figure it out. And um, the alumni network emailed and said, because of my background, that they had started this course in Peninsula Medical School. And would I be interested? And I thought, well, yeah, that sort of seems quite, you know, that'll fit what I want to do. I want some patient facing contact. And I wasn't one of these people who had thought, oh, maybe I'll do postgrad medicine. I, I, I wasn't quite sure. So it was a bit of a rush because <laughs> I interviewed in like the November, December time, I think. And anyone on my cohort from that year will remember how much of a mad rush it was because we started in the January. So we literally had to like find somewhere to live and, and funding and things all together. And yeah, it was, it was, it was really interesting because I, in, we, we interviewed for sponsorships as well at that point. So um, one thing that Peninsula and uh, Plymouth University were quite unique, I guess, at that time. So this was 2015, I think we started. Was they had some sponsoring trusts on board that would sponsor your tuition fees for two years, which definitely helps because it was a, a month to sort of get my life together and get on the course. Do you remember much about the interview process? Do you have any advice on how to interview successfully for other PAs, especially if they're thinking about ENT? I would say it was more about situations like, have you have had a situation with a colleague where you thought that they were unsafe or underperforming and how would you address this? But the question, the, honestly, the question that threw me, one of the consultants very eloquently asked me, um, what are your hobbies outside of work? Like what sings to your soul? And I was thinking, I've spent the last like seven years plus of my life studying and having my face in books. And I was like, oh, I've forgotten to do things that I enjoy so I said oh that's definitely something I need to work on (laughs) because you know I can't just like saying that I'm gonna go home and play on the PlayStation while it is a hobby it's not perhaps so impressive (laughs) (laughs) so uh, you know I've picked some stuff up I I, I knit now that's my um that's, that's my hobby so any of the pregnant doctors or other staff in the hospital are likely to get a hat from uh, from me, a baby hat. That's uh, yeah. And I th- I think with with interview stuff, you just much like they teach you in PA school, the exams, everything. You just have to show that you're safe and that you're confident. And I think confidence is a, is a is a big thing. Absolutely, we're lucky here. So, um, well, I was lucky. The sort of acting dean of the medical school, I think he's sort of head of the school of medicine because they've had some restructure. Is one of the ENT surgeons. So we had some teaching on ENT and things, and I was really keen to get into it. So when Prof asks you, you know, to help him on a project, you you have he has this way of getting you to say yes, and then you're like, oh, I didn't mean to say. Okay, yeah, I'm doing this project now. So I, I helped him with some health promotion stuff in the community where we'd go and do CBGs, blood pressure checks on people in the community. And he was like, it'd be nice for you to come on on your second year placement. So in our university, we did one day in primary care and one day in hospital in first year. And then second year, we were in three week blocks, which and then we had this sort of six week gap where we could pick two sort of like an elective. 
So I did ENT and cardiothoracics back to back. So I did my ENT placement. But actually, my first day in hospital placement was in ENT with one of the surgeons. And it was all very dramatic because I was sat in clinic and he got a call and he said, right, we need to go to theatre. And I was like, oh, this is all very, you know, very Grey's Anatomy, running down a stairwell for a, a block tracheostomy. And I was like, wow, like, you know, this is this is really cool. And you realise hospital isn't like that <laughs> all the time. But I was I was really keen. So I did a three week block, saw the wonders of ENT. It's so varied. There's so much you can do, you know, from dizziness all the way through to, to laryngeal cancers. And it's great. You have to be OK with a bit of snot, though. Um, so if, if that's not your bag, then um, <laughs> for staying away. But uh, yeah. Use the lovely phrase, the wonders of ENT. How do you sell ENT? What is it about ENT that fires you up? I find it difficult to explain, and it seems to be very a Marmite specialty. The idea of pulling wax or, you know, something out of an ear shakes them to their core. They (laughs) have no interest in it. But as a specialty, it's so varied. And whatever your interest is, you know, if it's in into medicine and, and if you like elderly care medicine or paediatrics or the surgical aspect there's a lot you can do in an oncology it's such a varied specialty you know so I might see you know some kids with a foreign body up their nose or their ear you know or a bit of otitis media you see adults with the end of a hearing aid stuck in the ear or you know acute otitis externa things like that so you go from that sort of stuff to laryngeal cancers that you're picking up on call uh, sinonasal tumors, even benign things like chronic rhinosinusitis, and it's just so varied, sort of day to day, and and even surgically. You know, if you like endoscopic things, we do some endoscopic surgery. Big open cases, there's that. Worked on a microscope, we we do that, and it's the variety for me. Not that I get bored easily, but I, I certainly like having, you know, a different day every day sometimes. Is there a case or something that sticks in your mind? Superglottitis, I, I, it got to the point that we were seeing quite a few and I had, you know, you keep having to ring micro and say, what antibiotic should you give? And it's always the same. It's all, always, you know, keftaraxin, um, unless they're allergic. So eventually I emailed one of the microbiologists that I have a decent working relationship with and said, could you write a clinical guideline for this because I have to call you every time because there isn't a trust guideline and they went that's a great idea why don't you write one so I ended up you know writing one with micro and p and it encompasses epiglottitis and superglottitis that that was quite quite nice to develop but I would just say to anybody you know if you're seeing somebody with a sore throat out of context of the clinical picture with a clear or a pharynx it needs to be at the back of your mind and I know classically we're taught about a tripoding child but with the hip vaccine, it's much more likely in older people. They're tricky, those patients sometimes, you know, they walk in and they're quite unwell. So from that, what are the benefits you're noticing as being a PA in ENT? When I started on ENT, you know, we, we had some rotor gaps and things. I think being that person there, especially over changeover when not only knowing where everything is, but knowing how the ward works or what the post-op plans, what each consultant might like as their post-op plan, and certainly being able to train. Um, so we have a mixture of GP trainees, we have F2s and we have core surgical trainees coming through. And, you know, most of the core surgical trainees want to do ENT, but sometimes it's part of their plastics block or things like that with us. So having a PA there who can provide support and a bit of training is certainly quite valuable. And I think the department here definitely appreciate that because it means that 
the registrars are who are tied up in theatre and clinic, they don't have to come out just to check an ear and say, yeah, I'm happy that that, that is nice and clear. So it's, it's having someone who knows the system and continuity is what they seem to value. For any PA in any specialty, that's the main selling point, isn't it, of, of what we can do differently. Do you have a sort of set routine that you do in a day or do you want to talk about sort of what your rota looks like, whether it's on calls, clinics? We usually have one person who's first on call and so, and sometimes that may, that's made, it, it varies sort of week to week. Pre-COVID I had, so I had some dedicated clinics a couple of times a week. That was usually a general ENT clinic. So I'd see a lot of new patients, otology or rhinology. I'd see a lot of pediatric patients. So for example, we've got a nice pathway for glue ear and audiology. And if audiology have done their assessments, so if they've had two hearing tests three months apart that demonstrates enough of a loss to warrant grommets versus hearing aids and if the parents want grommets, then they re- then they refer to us. A lot of them as like would be listing them for grommets and consenting and things like that. Lots of tonsillitis referrals, you know, to solicit them for surgery, and then just some general sort of my nose feels blocked, that sort of stuff. So yeah, so a mixture of clinic and we have a what we call e clinic. So that's based on our ward, and that's if we've taken GP referrals, usually a type of external that's not responding to treatment that might need some microsuction. So we set them up under the microscope and have a look. And if there's a load of pus or debris, we hoover that out. And then I'll get to theatre once or twice a week, depending on how things are going. And sometimes that's, you know, just assisting. So we're a big head and neck centre, but we, we, we do thyroidectomies and neck dissections and parotids and, uh, you know, a whole range of things. And the department did send me on basic surgical skills, which was quite nice. And I think I was the first PA to go on it in certainly in our centre. And what else do I do? Oh, so I'm I'm learning to do grommets and tonsillectomies, which is quite nice. So supervised at the at the moment. But it'd be nice to know in the future to get some SOPs to see if there's some stuff that I could do independently. But that's a you know work in progress. We're we're quite a big centre, so an on call day can can be very varied. You know, epistaxis, tonsillitis. You know, lots of emergencies, airway emergencies. I've seen a lot of superglottitis and epiglottitis in in my short three years, which is always always a little bit scary. But part of being first on call, you have to be able to do flexible nasal endoscopy, and that's part of being an ENT. So that's a, a useful skill to have. Ideally, I would like to sit Dones, which is the sort of the ENT specific. Uh, you can do it instead of doing Part B of the MRCS, but um, at the moment it's 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 doctors only. And I know a few colleagues of mine, you know, wanted to sit paces or uh, a similar thing just as like a benchmarking so it's trying to find something of an equivalent just to demonstrate knowledge you know and I know that part of that is you know your annual appraisal and things like that but it would be nice to have something to say that I am at that level I guess a progression and development it, it's tricky isn't it for for us as PAs and and I think that's something that the surgeons sometimes don't quite understand because you know they've, they're very you, you set your exams you, and then you go on and you, you have all those sort of steps and that's the one thing that I get asked quite a lot, actually, in work is, so w- what are we going to do to progress you? Um, it's tricky because I, I I guess I need to think what 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 I want. Getting more involved in, in the med school because of ENT's links with the med school. I look after the students when they come onto the ward and things and, 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 and the PA students I'm responsible for. So th- it'd be nice to develop that side of things so that I can, you know, make sure they're getting the most out of their placement. Molly, thanks so much for joining us on the episode today. 
No, thank you so much for having me. If people have heard this and are keen to get in touch with you to ask some questions, would you be happy for them to get in touch? Yeah, please. Although I don't really tweet professionally much, I am I am on Twitter. So a genuine question or you know just some interest in ENT, then do get in touch because it really is a lovely specialty. Everyone's very friendly um, in in the community. And please, <laughs> please, yeah, drop drop me a message or an email. I'm more than happy to chat. Perfect. And I'll leave Molly's contact details in the show notes below so people can find them there. Thanks, Molly. Thanks to you for listening as well. I hope you found that really useful to find out a bit more about PAs who are working in some quite different specialties across the UK. If you're a PA working in the UK as well and would like to come on the podcast and tell us about your job, please get in touch. We're on social media, Facebook and Twitter at PA Podcast UK. Thanks again for listening and I hope you join me for the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Precision Associate Podcast.